Are you ready for the word this morning? Well, a few weeks ago, as you recall, I began a new series, a series that I'm calling The Fruit of Transformation. And today I'm going to add another message to that series as I minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling Sacrifice of Praise, The Fruit of Lips. Isn't that beautiful? I wish I could take credit for that, but that's only one problem, friends, and that is the writer of Hebrews beat me to it. And we'll eventually work our way into those verses. We typically don't like the word sacrifice. You want to know why? Because we correlate the word sacrifice with suffering. Dieting is the sacrifice of calories, if you will. And how many of you know it doesn't take your body long to get into the suffering mode? <laughs> That's what it really is. It doesn't take very long. When a man tries to kick a habit like drinking or smoking or doing drugs, that man will go through withdrawals and he will suffer for a period of time. I've seen people shake like crazy as they are coming through and out of the addiction that they've been under. Let me ask you a question. How can our bodies crave something that is so bad for us? Think about it just for a second. How can our bodies crave something that is so bad for us? It's because there are ingredients, there are additives, there are chemicals that are put in food and drink and drugs that get our bodies and even our minds addicted to feeling a certain way. And so whether it's good for us or bad for us, we like it because that has become our new normal. It works the same way in the spiritual realm, in a sense, because believers can become so addicted to old covenant legalism that even as the finished work of grace begins to strip away the legalism, and that's what it does, they will actually experience a form of spiritual withdrawal. Walking away from the old covenant legalism is about as difficult for some people for a turtle to walk away from its shell. <laughs> How many of you know that a turtle is not just in a shell? A turtle is attached to the shell. And many believers get attached to the crusty old shell of law keeping and rule keeping and doing this. They're just attached. This is the way we do things. I'm attached to my stuff. Don't mess with my stuff. Come on. You and I have both been there. We've all been there. We know people that are stuck there. And so what I've seen over the years is quite often believers, they're looking for something different. They're looking for a change. And they'll grab a hold of this message of grace, this gospel of grace, this finished work of grace for a little while. And then they seem to retreat. They retreat back into that which they are familiar with, that which they are comfortable with. This is exactly what happened to the Galatians when the Apostle Paul left Galatia. You know what they did? The Judaizers came in and convinced them to retreat back to that which what they were familiar with, that which they were comfortable with, and that's what they did. Doesn't mean it was the best plan for them. It was not the best plan for them, but that's what they were comfortable with. Friends, let me tell you something. I don't think this is a revelation, but a, a habit is not kicked overnight. Transformation of the mind is a process. The fruit of transformation takes time. It takes time to grow. 
The gospel of grace, I've said it so many times, it is a slow drip, but I'm going to tell you something. It is a transforming drip. Change begins in the mind, and when the mind changes, the tongue will follow. But there must be consent. There has to be consent. You have to consent that I'm willing to allow the Holy Spirit to lead me into a pasture that I'm not familiar with, that I've not been comfortable with in the past. If you are willing to say, Holy Spirit, I'm willing to go into that pasture, I'm telling you, you are going to experience change, but it is a slow drip, but it's a worthy drip, friends. What we've been taught is that sacrifice is either painful, tearful, or dreadful. (laughs) That's what we've been taught. We can associate with that. Painful, tearful, dreadful. We've been taught that true sacrifice must be accompanied by bodily discharges like blood and sweat and tears. Under the old covenant, that's a reality. Under the old covenant, that's true. Under the old covenant, that's an accurate conclusion. The blood from annual sacrifices from the animals You know what they were? They were a reminder of sins, and it was a painful reminder. Nobody went into that situation with a smirk on their face. Nobody went into that situation laughing with glee. Nobody went into that situation having chit-chat with their neighbor. It was a very solemn time. It was a painful experience for them. But under the new covenant, we bear the joyful fruit that All of our sins have been taken away. We bear them no more. Jesus was our sin bearer. It's a joyful experience to know that. The sweat from man's physical labor can be exhausting, toiling, physically painful. The tears shed by man because of his constant failure, because he constantly feels like he's a disappointment, is emotionally draining. It's emotionally exhausting. It's painful. Under the new covenant, friends, come on. Jesus shed his blood once for all. Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews says? He said he shed his blood once for all. He will never come and shed his blood ever again. I don't care how bad you think the world is moving. Jesus will never come again and shed blood again. He shed his blood once for all. And by that one sacrifice, we have been made perfect through that one sacrifice. We're made holy through that sacrifice. There are no annual sacrifices for sin for us. Listen, your blood donation counts for nothing. Ronald McDonald might like it, but I'm telling you, your blood donation counts for nothing. It was Jesus' blood plus nothing that gave us everything we have. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he did it one time, the Bible says, for all. The scriptures tell us that Jesus' sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane became like drops of blood. That's because he was under this intense pressure. In fact, Gethsemane literally translates as olive press. And when you would take an olive and you would put it in a press and you would squeeze down on that olive, you would get this minute, I mean, not even what you would call a drop, this little speck of moisture would pop out of it. That's all you would get out of it. So it is fitting that Jesus would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and he would be under such intense pressure that his sweat 
would become like drops of blood. It's an olive press. It was like he was under this intense, intense pressure. And he was. There's no question about that. Jesus not only shed his blood, but Jesus shed tears. We see throughout the scriptures that Jesus shed his tears as he wept over Jerusalem. It broke his heart. He wept over Jerusalem. Jesus shed tears as he stood in front of Lazarus' tomb. Why did he shed tears? Friends, it wasn't because Lazarus was dead. It was because of unbelief. He was in the midst of so much unbelief. A few scriptures before that, he just got through telling Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And Martha said, I know someday. No, Martha, now the resurrection and the life is not an event. It's a person. I'm the one. So he was standing in all of this unbelief. He shed tears, friends. Jesus shed tears in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that his soul was overwhelmed. It says it was exceedingly sorrowful is what it says. And again, under the new covenant, our sacrifice of praise need not be accompanied by the bodily discharges of blood, sweat, and tears. Jesus' blood, Jesus' sweat, Jesus' tears were sufficient payment for every one of our sins and delivered us from all unrighteousness. It's about what Christ did for us. See, I'm going to give you a, a revelation here, okay? The word sacrifice actually translates as offering. Now, it's not so scary anymore, is it? <laughs> An offering of praise. An offering of praise, not a sacrifice of blood, sweat, and tears, but an offering of praise. So to say sacrifice of praise, I'm essentially saying an offering of praise. Friends, an offering of praise manifests as the fruit of lips. An offering of praise, the fruit of lips, comes, listen to me carefully, from a tongue that is attached to a heart that has been pollinated by grace. <laughs> Did you hear that? See, the Bible says from the abundance of the heart or from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, if I don't have any lips, I'm going to tell you something. My words are going to be unintelligible, friends. You need lips to enunciate. I've got a son, my 30-year-old son. He doesn't hardly move his lips when he talks. And I keep telling him, son, I'm your daddy, but I still don't understand what you're talking about. you got to move your lips, son. But when the heart is impacted by grace, when the heart is impacted by the finished work of what Christ has done, it will manifest as the fruit of lips. In other words, the things that will come out of your mouth in certain times will amaze you. It will be fruit that blesses people. It will feed the hungry with it. So what I want you to see through the message today is this. There is nothing that pollinates our souls with the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of transformation more than the gospel of grace. If you can find it, you let me know. I can't find it. I don't know of anything that pollinates our heart and transforms our heart more than the gospel of grace. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that every person on the planet, every single person on the planet 
is like a flower on an apple tree. How many of you know that it's flower than fruit, right? It's not fruit than flower. The flower always comes before the fruit. I want you to picture every single person. You'll get an orchard as large as you need to incorporate seven to eight billion people, but every single person is a flower on an apple tree. You got it in your mind? Now, as believers, we are like honeybees. We are like bumblebees. We are like the wind. We are like the water in a sense that we are agents of pollination. We have been empowered by the Spirit with an intrinsic responsibility and privilege to pollinate daddy's flowers so that they might transform from flower to fruit. Friends, I know of nothing that pollinates a flower more effortlessly than hearing words that awaken a person to their true identity in Christ. I don't know of anything that will wake up a soul, wake up a spirit more so than when you begin to show them who they really are in Christ. You know what grace does? Grace seats us at the banquet table and drapes the banner of love over us. Can you see that? That's what grace does. Brings you right to the banquet table and drapes the banner of love right over you. Don't you feel warm? Don't you feel special? I mean, come on, think about it one time. If you were at a banquet, a very prestigious banquet, and all you did was go to the banquet just to go to the banquet. And then the host of the banquet takes you and seats you in the most honorable seat. And he drapes a banner of love around you. Wouldn't that make you feel special? Well, that's what Christ has done to you. He has brought you to his banqueting table. And his banner over you is love. There is love like we were singing. Yes, it is the Father that is doing the work. Don't ever mistake that. It's the Holy Spirit's doing the work, but he's doing it through us. I've never seen a baseball bat hit a home run all by itself. I'm a guitar player, but I've never seen my guitar jump up and start playing a song. There's a comb laying on my vanity in my bathroom, but I've never had that comb jump up and comb my hair. It always requires the hand of man too. Do you see this? It always requires our involvement too. But yes, daddy is doing the work. The bat is doing the work. The comb is doing the work. It's just that I have my hand on it. He wants to work with us and in us and through us. He doesn't want to just work for us. It's a journey. Can you see that? It's this love affair where you do things together. Listen. If I hold my wife's hand, guess what? She's holding mine. It's impossible for me to hold her hand and her not hold mine. It's the same thing with Papa. He grabs our hand and he says, son, daughter, let's go on a journey today. I want to hold your hand. Oh, the Beatles song just popped in my head. Oh, I want to hold your hand, son. Let's do this together. So it's the father that's doing the work, but in the same breath, we must be mindful that we can do nothing of ourselves. See, that's just it. We have to hold Papa's hand and we get to do it together, but we cannot do it ourselves. We don't have enough horses. We don't have enough men to do it ourselves, friends. That's why the scriptures would say, some of you trust in horses and some of you trust in chariots. I trust in the name of the Lord. I trust in God. Friends, I couldn't save a flea. I couldn't preach a sermon without him. It's him. But we're doing it together. We're never alone. We do it together. So we must be mindful that 
We can do nothing of ourselves. We are the fruit of the vine. Our sacrifice of praise becomes the fruit of lips. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, we find these words. Look what Paul said. He said, I planted the seed. That's the word. Apollos watered it. That's the word. But God has been making it grow. Do you see the involvement of God in man? God didn't plant it. God didn't water it. God made it grow. He said he's given man this responsibility to take his word, his word that will make people healthy and wealthy and wise and good. And he said, I've given you this word in your heart. He said, now water this word, plant this word, stir on this word, meditate on this word. But he said, I want you to know something. I'm the one that's going to make it grow. I'm the miracle grower here. I'm the author of growing, okay? Listen, I've seen God open blind eyes before. In Nicaragua, when I was there, we laid hands on a little blind girl who had been blind in one eye from birth, and God opened that eye just instantly. Her mother fell apart in tears. The little girl was just staring up at her mother like four years old. Like, what just happened here, mama? I walked away from that going, this is what's supposed to happen. This is what's supposed to happen. Why would I go, oh, God, what'd you just do? I know what you just did. You honored your word. You honored the faith in that little girl. You honored the faith of that mother who brought that little girl to us. And it was so fast. It was so simple. And the prayer was so short. Friends, sometimes we get way too religious now. We want to carry this thing off and do an encyclopedia worth of words. No, sometimes just in the name of Jesus, open those eyes in Jesus' name. It wasn't long, friends, and that little girl had her eyes open. So it says, I planted the seed. That's the word. Apollos watered the word, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. In other words, what he's saying, he says, you're not anything by yourself. God is not dissing us here. He's not just going, oh, you're just nothing. No, he's just saying, listen, without me, you can't do what you need to do. You would be nothing without me. But with me, you're all things. Remember the scripture, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, that's true, man. We can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. So God makes things grow. He says, again, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Next scriptures. Look at what it says. For we are, look at those words, co-workers. We're co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Then please underscore these next words in your heart. It says, by the grace God has given me. I knew grace was going to show up somewhere, didn't you? Didn't you realize that you were working toward, look, this seems like we're doing an awful lot of work here. What are we doing? It's by grace. He said, you're doing this by the grace that God has given you. Grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserved favor. It's unwarranted favor. It's favor that you can't buy, beg for, nothing. It is favor that comes from God. Favor is another way to say grace, unmerited favor. And he says there, he says, by the grace, Paul said, by the grace, the unmerited favor that God gave me, he said, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. Friends, that's all we're doing here at Triumphant Grace Ministries. 
I don't know who will come after us. I don't know when that date will be. Daddy knows this. All we're doing is coming in. We're laying a foundation that says, look, it's Christ plus nothing. Don't you build on anything but him. How do you know it's Christ plus nothing? We'll keep looking at the scripture there. It says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ. See, so often we get program-oriented and we want to change the foundation of the ministry. We want to change the foundation of the way we do things. And sometimes that spills over into the doctrine area of the church. And they want to begin to change to be more seeker-sensitive and you know, all kinds of things, as you know. And as a result, they compromise the word. They compromise the word for smoke machines and lights and fancy things and whatnot. I'm not opposed to those things. Look, I've got friends that have ministries that have these things, so don't get me wrong about this stuff, but that cannot be the emphasis. A smoke machine cannot save you, friends. A light hanging from the ceiling cannot save you. The light of the world is the one who saves you. Only Jesus can save you. There's no other name under heaven, the scriptures say, whereby we must be saved, but by the name of Jesus Christ. That's Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Did you know that flowers that have not been pollinated cannot bear fruit. You see, the flower on a fruit tree has to be impregnated with a male seed in order to transform into fruit. So while you're sleeping, while you're working, while you're doing all the things you do, bees are flying around and they're pollinating your little apple tree in your backyard, your little peach tree over here. You're totally oblivious to it. You just think it's programmed in there automatically to come up and automatically just have fruit on it. That is not the way it works. In other words, flowers that have never heard the gospel of grace. Remember I said, we're like a field of flowers, like an orchard of flowers. And those flowers, those precious people that have never heard the gospel of grace, flowers that have never witnessed the sacrifice of praise, wither and fall to the ground, having never experienced the fruit of lips. The sacrifice of praise comes from a heart that has been pollinated with the grace of God. The end result, as I said before, is the fruit of lips. It's what comes out of your mouth. That is the fruit. You can tell what's in a man's heart by listening to his words. Does he have fruit? Does he magnify God? They are lips that flow with milk and honey, friends. Again, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, here's that scripture I mentioned earlier. Look at it. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your mouth doesn't do anything without your mind engaging it. And now they run really quick together sometimes. Sometimes the old old sand, we opened our mouth and stuck our foot in it. Yeah, that seems like that's the case. But believe me, that was stuck in your brain first. It just found opportunity to get its way out. But it says right there, out of the abundance, the overflow, the heart is always gushing with information. It's gushing with revelation. It's always doing something that says out of that, not just the organ. We're talking about the mind. We're talking about the soul of the man. And out of that soul comes what's stuck on the inside of it. Friends, you can't put water in a jar and drop it on the floor and get seven up. (laughs) You can't do it. What's in the jar is what's going to come out. You can't change that. So what is that scripture saying? It's saying that a heart that has been pollinated and fertilized with the finished work of grace will drip with the fruit 
of lips. As a bee pollinates a flower so that it can transform into a fruit, likewise, we as ministers pollinate hearts with the revelation of just how the Father sees people, how the Father loves his flowers, how the Father longs to gather his flowers, all his little children around him. I've got a friend that lives in central Wisconsin that has 59 grandchildren. His name is John. I say, John, do you know them all by name? And he always laughs when I say that. He says, oh, they're changing so quickly and we only see each other about once a year at the reunion, so it's pretty tough. But he loves to gather his little 59 grandchildren around them. Can you imagine the father? He created us. He longs to put his arms around his children. He longs to put his arms around his little flowers and bring them close. Put them all in one vase. Put them all together. Unity. That's what the father loves. He sees his flowers. Listen to me carefully. As altogether lovely. He sees them pure. He sees them as innocent. He sees them full of beauty. He sees us as the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Unfortunately, most believers just cannot see themselves the way daddy sees them. You want to know why they can't see themselves the way daddy sees them? I'm going to tell you why. It's because they're too busy shedding their own blood, shedding their own tears, shedding their own sweat, crucifying themselves daily, laboring to keep themselves right before God and constant tears of repentance that somehow reinforce this mindset that they're a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind, friends. It's not true with daddy. We're eternal beings. We last forever. Friends, can you imagine a bloody, sweaty, tearful bride walking down an aisle to meet her groom, and the wedding song is playing, There is Love Gently in the Background. Can you imagine that? You know, it's that moment at a wedding we all wait for. It's about the only moment we stand up for when that beautiful bride comes strolling down the aisleway. Now imagine as you turn to look at the bride, she's bloody, she's sweaty, she's crying her mascara is running can you picture that no you can't neither can i but quite often this is how many believers present themselves to christ bloody sweaty tearful hoping that they've done enough to earn his love and earn his acceptance the bride has not believed in the words you are altogether lovely that is why i love you so you're altogether lovely that's why i love you Religion has exchanged the bridal gown for sweatpants. Religion has exchanged the crown of splendor for a sweaty headband. Religion has exchanged Cinderella slippers for running shoes. Religion has convinced the bride that she doesn't need to walk down an aisle. She needs to run on a treadmill. That's what you need. You need to run on a treadmill. You need to do some laps over there for a while. Religion has robbed the bride of her identity and old covenant mandates have stolen her sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. Friends, that's a systemic issue that's going on within the body of Christ. That doesn't mean they're disconnected from the Father. They're just as connected as you and me and us and we. They're just as connected as we all are. But in their own minds, they're not. 
In their own minds, they toggle in and out, up and down, ebb and flow, come and go. They're always doing this in their mind. And it brings them trouble and it brings fear in their hearts. It puts a gigantic weight on them. Song of Solomon is an amazing book. I love this book. I've preached about it before. And in preparation for this message, I didn't even plan on using these scriptures. And Daddy said, yes, I want you to use these scriptures. He said, I want them to see my heart in these scriptures. Song of Solomon, it's an allegory. We call it an allegory. It's more than just a diary of boy meets girl, friends. Song of Solomon puts a spotlight on two people, the lover and the beloved. It's about a man that is relentlessly pursuing a woman, and in return, this woman is responding to unconditional love and grace. This book is so much more, friends, than a Hallmark movie with a happy ending. It's a type and shadow of Christ and his bride. Christ who is lovingly and romantically and relentlessly pursuing his bride with much passion, holding her up as a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. Can you see that in your heart this morning? He's holding his bride up and says, Daddy, my tears in the garden. Daddy, my blood on the cross. Daddy, my sweat in Gethsemane was for her. For her. Isn't she a beautiful flower, Daddy? Oh, son, she's a beautiful flower. I thought so too, Daddy. When I first read Song of Solomon, it's a bit confusing because she talks for a little while and then he talks. And then she talks and then she talks and then she keeps talking. And then the friends start talking. And then she talks. And then the friend talks. And then he talks. It's like a gigantic group text message. You don't know who's talking after a little while. You recognize some of the people in that group text message. You ever get one of those? You see all these numbers of people you don't know. And you're thinking, who are you? This is how confusing it can be. But if you get the right Bible, it will tell you who's doing the talking. At the moment, they're talking, okay? But Song of Solomon waves the greatest banner that man has ever known, and that banner is love. It was God's motivation for everything. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It waves the banner of love. Song of Solomon is a book about two people that are deeply in love with one another, and all they can say are good things to one another. I've searched that book from front to cover. It's not very many chapters long, but I can't see one occasion where he condemned her. I can't see one occasion where they said something sharp toward each other. No, they only say good things to one another. They never criticize one another. They're never mean to one another. They're never cold to one another. They're never distant to one another. They're never indifferent to one another. It's a beautiful book. It's a book that teaches us how to treat not only our spouse, but how to treat people in general. And it shows us how Christ feels about us. Song of Solomon is poetic. Song of Solomon is romantic. It's alluring. It's captivating. I'm going to tell you something. It will hold you on the edge of your seat. <laughs> and when those verses come up, you know what I'm talking about? Those flirtatious exchanges with one another it will literally make your cheeks turn red at times. It's about a bride whose vital signs are off the chart. 
Her pulse is racing, her palms are sweaty, and her heart is consumed with the thoughts of her lover. That's all she can think about. Morning, noon, and night, she can only think about her lover, and all he can think about is his beloved. Her blood pressure, friends, is setting off alarms, and because of his sweet kisses, I'm telling you what, her sugar levels are disturbingly high. Who is this man? Who is this man that could do something like that to a woman? Friends, this is Christ. This is a type and shadow of Christ relentlessly pursuing and passionately pursuing his bride to catch her and to hold her and to love her and to whisper good things into her heart. This is who this is. I don't care about Solomon. I care about Christ. And so through this narrative, we begin to see this is the allegory of Christ and his bride, Christ and the church, Christ and his flowers, if you will. As Song of Solomon opens, we find an unnamed bride with an intermittent identity. I want to pause and just let you think about what I said for a second. An unnamed bride with an intermittent identity. One moment she knows exactly who she is, the next moment she doesn't. She's a little mixed up, if you will. Friends, it's the same conundrum that the body of Christ is dealing with today. She keeps humming the song, He loves me, He loves me not. He loves me, He loves me not. Do you see how that works? Pulling the petals on the flower. He loves me, He loves me not. Mixed up. It's a conundrum, if you will. Friends, when you discover that the Father's banner over you is love, his banner over you is love and that he sees you completely innocent, then your wavering between he loves me and he loves me not will cease. Your blood, sweat, and tears will dry up. The sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, will appear like flowers upon the earth. The season of singing will have come and the blossoming vines will spread their fragrance with the words, Arise, my love. My darling, come away with me, my beautiful one. Come with me. Can you hear that? Can you hear Christ saying that? Arise, my darling. Come. Come away with me. In Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 5, I want you to see these words. Here's her heart right out of the gate, friends. She says, dark am I, yet lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. This is the image the Shulamite woman has of herself. Dark, yet lovely. Didn't I just tell you a second ago she's got an intermittent identity? She's not in denial that she's lovely. But what she is saying in that scripture right there, she is saying, I waver between two viewpoints of myself. And this is what people do too. Believers do sometimes. Did you know that there are women upon the earth right now that have the loveliest of features? They have eyes as dark as wine. They have teeth as white as milk. They have cheeks as red as roses. But because of condemnation, they can't even look themselves in the mirror without thinking, I'm dark, yet lovely. I'm pretty on the outside but I feel so ugly on the inside. This is condemnation at work. Come on now, be real with me now. There's times when you can't wait to look in the mirror. 
And there's other times when you feel like you're not on your best game. You may not have been on your best behavior and you don't even want to look yourself in the eyes. You just kind of shortchange the mirror as you walk by it. Come on, be real now. It's happened in your life somewhere along the line because it's happened with me. Friends, that's what the mixture of law and grace will do to man. It will strip them, number one, of their sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. The mixture of old covenant and new covenant will trap a believer in a mindset of oscillation. Can you see the fan? Remember those fans? Valerie's probably got one blowing on her right now. We got one there. One moment you're over here. I know exactly what daddy thinks of me. The next moment I'm over here. I know, ooh, I don't want to know what daddy thinks of me. Dark, yet lovely. Dark, no, lovely. Listen, I may be talking to you guys. Maybe you're not going through this. I pray that you're not. But I'm telling you, friends, there are people that are going through this right now. I talk to them all the time. I'm telling you, we waver between two opinions. And we do that, we become like a ship. We become like a, a vessel on the water. And you're at the mercy of the wind. And it will just carry you to wherever it goes, up into the bank. It will carry you away. I can tell you one thing right now, you better never fall asleep on a big body of water like Lake Michigan with no anchor down and be asleep for two or three hours. You'll wake up, but you better, you better not do that. You'll find yourself going, now which way is the shore? Because <laughs> you won't be able to see it. That's what happens, though, under the mixture of law and grace. Now, she's already said, dark am I, yet lovely. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 6. And she says, <laughs> come on now. Do not stare at me because I'm dark. Why did she say something like that? Because she's gotten used to people staring at her, and she doesn't like it. Nobody likes to be stared at, friends. She said, don't stare at me because I'm dark, because I am darkened by the sun. And then watch what she said. My mother's sons were angry with me. She won't even call them her brother's. She says, my mother's son, isn't that weird? She got a little attitude going, doesn't she? She won't even call him her brother. She says, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. And then look what she says, my own vineyard I have neglected. Today's application of don't stare at me because I'm dark might sound something like this. Don't throw me under the bus because I can't give in the offering. Today's application would be, don't judge me because I haven't been to church lately. Today's application would be, don't criticize me because I don't come to Tuesday night Bible study. See, that's today's application. You see, religion has programmed us to feel lovely when we're doing spiritual things and to feel dark and unloved when we're not. That is religion for you. That's not Christ. That's not your groom. That's not your lover doing that. That's religion that's doing that for you. You feel like you're out of place. I was talking to a man this past week. He called me. We have a mutual friend. I've never talked to him a day in my life. He lives in another state. We had a two-hour conversation one night this past week. And he's worked for some of the biggest ministries. And he's worked within the church ministry for years and years and years. If I named the big ministries, you'd recognize them, friends. And now he's not working in any of these ministries. And so as we talk through this two-hour period of time, 
And I said, friend, it's easier to be in the ministry than you know. He said, how's that? I said, all you got to do is wake up and be a part of the greatest ministry there is, and that is to love people. He didn't like that answer. You know why? That ain't spiritual. That's as spiritual as it gets, Claudette. You can't get any more spiritual than that. I said, we can all be in the ministry. All we have to do is just decide, just determine in our own heart that we're going to love today. That is ministry, friends. That is ministry. See, I want to remind us today that working a job is ministry. Cleaning your house is ministry. Fixing supper for your family is ministry. Doing the dishes is ministry. Washing the clothes, folding clothes, that is ministry. Taking care of your family is ministry. If you have time to do other stuff beyond that, then fine. But that is ministry. You are ministering to your family. You guys know my story. I took 10 years off so I could be a daddy. I took 10 years off so I could just be a husband at home. That was the greatest ministry of my entire life. And I'm so happy that I didn't tell the Holy Spirit no. Because at first I said, this can't be the Holy Spirit. And he said, yeah, it's me. I said, no, it can't be. Everything's going so well at church. If it was falling apart, there'd be a different story. I'd have reason to leave. He said, no, son, it's me. And I listened to him. And my family became my ministry for 10 years. I'm not asking every pastor to do that. I'm not asking every minister to do that. There's a special calling for people to do things like that. Special arrangement, special set of circumstances. I only had my kids on the weekend and I was giving away my weekends to preach messages at my church, study on Saturday, preach on Sunday, and then take my kids back. I was giving away all their time. And I heard the Holy Spirit saying, you're giving away all their time. I said, yeah, but I'm in ministry. He said, how about you just minister to them? Friends, that's ministry. Minister to Bob, Bob, minister to Treva. That's ministry. Ministry begins at home. You ain't going to be a minister in a church if you can't minister at home. Isn't that the qualifications for deacons and elders in the New Testament? One wife and, you know, he's honorable and, I mean, everything. He takes care of his family. This is what ministry looks like. And this is all birthed out of love. Transitions out of love. So when she says these words, do not stare at me because I'm dark. I can tell something's cooking in her heart. So I wanted to look and see how would he respond to those words. Remember, we're talking about the bride and we're talking about Christ. How is he going to respond to this statement? How would her lover respond to her attitude toward her mother and brothers? Would he forsake her? Would he beat her? Friends, this woman has been hurt. She is speaking from fractured emotions, you can tell. She has not yet learned the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. A pretty flower? Yes. But she's not been pollinated. (laughs) Pretty flower! But she's not been pollinated. This is how her lover responds to her saying, I'm dark yet lovely. Look at the next scripture. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 15. He says, how beautiful you are. My darling, oh, how beautiful. (laughs) You ever ask somebody a question, they give you an answer that doesn't seem to match up to the question? And then you just look at them and go, did you hear what I asked you? 
Come on, this has happened to all of us, hasn't it? But do you get what I'm getting at? They give you an answer that doesn't match the question. Well, she's already spewed out all this rhetoric. I'm dark, I'm dark, I'm dark. Don't even stare at me when I'm dark. (laughs) And he thought, oh man, I'm going to pollinate your heart with some words. Look at those words. How beautiful you are. My darling. Not a darling, not somebody else's darling. You're my darling. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. This is what Christ says to us in our dark moments when we think we're so dark. He says, no, you're not dark. You're beautiful. Her lover did not reprove her for the way she saw herself. He was not angry with her because she had neglected her own vineyard. Remember, she said, I've neglected my own vineyard because I've been taking care of my brother's or my mother's son's vineyards. There's not one shred of condemnation from this lover. What was her lover doing? He was offering up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. He was reminding her of her true identity and innocence. Isn't that pretty? Throughout the Song of Solomon, the lover refers to his bride as sweet, delightful, pleasing. I went and looked up all these adjectives. They're all there. Just scan the scriptures real quick. He says you're sweet, you're delightful, you're pleasing, you're graceful. He calls her flawless. He calls her perfect. On two occasions, he says, she has stolen my heart. Isn't that beautiful? To tell somebody that you've stolen my heart. On three occasions, he tells her she's lovely. I remember the first time when Valerie and I were engaged. I can see where we were sitting. We were sitting out in front of the church. We were engaged uh, a couple of months or something like that, and I reached over and grabbed her hand, and I called her darling. I'm telling you, she says she doesn't remember it, but I do. It took her breath away. She went, (gasps) I said, are you okay? She says she doesn't remember. I remember it. See, I'm looking at her when I said it. There's something about that word that's precious, up close, personal. Friends, have a darling and be somebody's darling. And see yourself as the darling of heaven. On nine occasions throughout those scriptures, he calls her beautiful. Would you like to know how the woman responds to her lover after his words, these words that you're looking at right now? How beautiful you are, my darling. Do you want to see how she responded? Let's look at the next scripture. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse (laughs) 1. This is her response. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. What happened? Uh Uh-oh, the bride's awake. (laughs) She's awake. She just went from dark. She just said, I'm the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. See, we sing these songs all the time. We say Jesus is the rose of Sharon. There's songs about that. We say Jesus is the lily of the valleys, but these words are recorded by her. She has the revelation that she's the rose of Sharon and she's the lily of the valleys. She reached down and picked out two of the most beautiful flowers on planet Earth. I went and bought Valerie flowers yesterday for our anniversary. And when I went into that florist, I could have gotten anything I wanted, but I said, I want those roses. And I said, I want to mix with those lilies. You can't get a more beautiful bouquet. But what do they mean? The rose symbolizes love. You give people roses to say, I love you. 
the lily symbolizes innocence. So she has awakened to the reality that she's loved. She has awakened to the reality that she's innocent in her lover's eyes. And friends, we've got to wake up to that too, that in Christ's eyes, in Papa's eyes, we're so loved, we're so innocent in his eyes. She has awakened to her identity. She has awakened to the truth that she is loved and that she is innocent. Here's the important part. Even when she feels dark, where did she get this revelation at that she was the rose? Where did she get this revelation at that she was the lily? Where did she get this revelation that she was loved? Where did she get this revelation that she was innocent? Was it from her brothers? No. Was it from her mother? No. Was it from working in the vineyards? Of course not. She received the revelation of love and innocence from her lover. Same place we get it today. We get it from Christ. He told her that she was beautiful. He told her that she was lovely. He told her that she was pure. He said you're flawless. He said you're delightful. He said you're pleasing. He said you're loved. And he said you are innocent in my eyes. In the same way we receive the revelation of love and innocence from our lover, namely Jesus Christ. Friends, the revelation that you and I are loved and innocent in the Father's eyes will pollinate your heart with a sacrifice of praise and then the fruit of lips. It will adorn the mantle of your heart with two vases, one full of roses to say you're loved and one full of lilies to say you're innocent. Friends, you can criticize the message of grace if you want to, but the grace message will remind us over and over again that you are delightful, you are pleasing, you are perfect, you are altogether lovely, you are beautiful, you are loved, you are cherished, and you are innocent in daddy's eyes. Get those realities in your heart. Grab a hold of them. Handcuff them to you, if you will. This is how the papa sees you. Loved, innocent. Because of the constant gracious drip of words from the lover into the heart of the Shulamite woman. She has moved from don't stare at me when I'm dark to I am a rose of Sharon and a lily of the valleys. Her lover has pollinated her mind through the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, and he has begun the transformation process, she will never be the same. Friends, at Triumphant Grace Ministries, we are ministering a transforming message that pulls people from dark shadows. It pulls people from the old covenant mindset and it sets them into a new covenant reality under the glorious light of Jesus Christ. This is the new covenant. Song of Solomon, chapter one. Let's add verse two to it now. Look what it says. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And then he says to her, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. See, he said, you're right. You're right. And like that lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Now look at verse four. Look at this. Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse four. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me is love. 
When I first got saved, my kids were very, very little. And I remember I bought this little cassette tape and I put it in my car. It was called We Sing, W-E-E Sing. It was songs for kids. And I liked it so much. I, I must have played those songs a couple hundred times for the kids as they were growing up. There were some songs we liked more than others. My kids got to the point where they would beg me to listen to those songs. And they got so trapped in my heart that I would play it sometimes when they weren't even in the vehicle. But one of those songs was Banner Over Me. <laughs> you remember that song? I am his and he is mine. His banner over me is love. I am his and he is mine. His banner over me is love. I am his and he is mine. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. He brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. He lifted me up into heavenly places. His banner over me is love. And then it says, he is the vine and we are the branches. His banner over me is love. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. I'm cutting it short for time. His banner over me is love. And then that last verse, there's one way to peace through the power of the cross. His banner over me is love. Do you get the point? He has brought me to the banqueting table and his banner over me is love. His banner over us is a celebration. When you throw a banquet, friends, it's to celebrate something. And he has brought us to the banqueting table. That must mean there's a banquet going on, right? And what are we celebrating? We're celebrating that you're loved. We're celebrating, son, that you're innocent. And he has seated us as a rose. He has seated us as a lily of the valleys right next to him. His banner speaks of so much. It speaks of ceremony. His banner speaks of grace. His banner speaks of covenant. His banner speaks of innocence. His banner speaks of ownership. His banner speaks of citizenship and relationship, identity. But most of all, friends, his banner speaks of love. Get that in your heart this morning. His banner over you is love. And nothing can change that. His banner over me is love. You want me to do it again? I am his and he... Oh, I get happy when I start doing that. Friends, his banner over us is love. Oh, Valerie's going to be listening to this later. She's going to say, you just lost your little doggy brain today, didn't you? Yes, I do. When I think about nothing can change this. The God of all eternity, the God of all creation seats me at a banqueting table. And he says, I got to go get the banner of love. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> and he drapes Jesus around us. There's your banner of love. Oh, you thought it was something that just hung on the wall like these drapes over here. No, his banner of love is Christ. He has brought me to the banqueting table. Under his banner of love, listen to me carefully. The Father has made provision for sin, not permission to sin. That alone will free you. He's made provision in the covenant for when we blow it. How do we know that? Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. He's made provision for sin. That sin provision was Christ, the sacrificial lamb of God. He's made provision for sin, not permission to sin. Not at all. This gift came with much goodness and grace. Jesus sees his bride as the rose of Sharon 
and a lily of the valleys. In fact, he says this, he says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Interesting statement. What is Papa doing through the Song of Solomon narrative? What is he doing? He's planting an image in our head. He's planting an image in our hearts of a lily among thorns. What is he saying? He is saying, you stand out. Friends, look, thorns would only make the lily more beautiful because your attention would be drawn to the lily. So don't be so disturbed when you go through life and you run into a bunch of thistles and thorns. It just makes you more beautiful. It makes you stand out all the more. He says you are beautiful even when you're surrounded by thorns. You are beautiful even when you've blown it. You are beautiful when you feel dark and when you feel distant. You are so beautiful. Daddy still calls us pleasing. He still calls us flawless. He still calls us delightful. He still calls us beautiful. And he always loves us. Friends, let me be honest with you. There are going to be days when we feel like a lily among thorns. Can I get an amen on that one? Days when we think, God, how can you love me? when I'm surrounded by thorns and thistles. I'll tell you how. Because Jesus was offered up as a sacrifice of praise. He doesn't know how not to love you. It's not in his mind. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 3 through 13. Watch this woman start talking. (laughs) Here she goes. She says, like an apple tree. Remember those flowers I told you to think about on an apple tree? She says, like an apple tree. Among the trees of the forest is my lover among the men, the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Friends, we are no longer just a flower. We are the fruit of his reward, the scriptures tell us. Friends, the cross adds new meaning to the words cross, pollination. Through the cross, his pollen was released into the flowers of both Jew and Gentile. We have the same pollen. We have the same blood. We have the same anointing. We have the same holiness. We have the same righteousness. And we have the same Father as Jesus Christ. There is no difference between us and Him. A hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. She says, His fruit is sweet to my taste. Let Him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Next scriptures. She says, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I'm faint with love. And now watch this picture she draws. She says, his left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And then she says, listen. And I believe there was a little bit of time between that and her next words. She was so in tune to what it sounded like when her lover came. She said, wait a second now. Listen. That sounds like my lover. Listen, she says, my lover. And then she says, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, 
bounding over the hills. Do you see the excitement? Do you see the passion in this lover? This is the way he comes after us. This is the way he chases us, bounding over the mountains. That's my girl right there. That's my baby when he comes to us. Continuing, she says these words. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Friends, they did their best back then, right? <laughs> to compare it to things, right? Whatever she wrote, they understood it, okay? So you can take all the liberties you want here, but whatever they wrote in the language of the day, they understood what she was talking about. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. And then she says, look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice, like, I see you. I see you. I know you're here. She says, my lover spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. She says, flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. I think more husbands and wives ought to get a little bit closer with each other so that they can hear one another cooing. Can you hear me cooing all over you? I feel your cooing coming through. She says, there's cooing. It's a funny word, isn't it? The cooing of doves is heard in our land. It speaks of a dove that's satisfied. It speaks of a dove that's not alarmed. A dove that's at rest. They'll coo when they get that way. And the cooing of doves is heard in our land. Oh God, that our land would be filled with the cooing of one another. She said, the fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Isn't that awesome? Do you see Christ in this thing? So beautiful. This year commemorates 30 years ago that my first son was born. I gave him the name Tyler James Testerman. He was 5 pounds, 12 ounces, 17 and 3 quarters inches long. And when that baby was born, I'm going to tell you something, he hijacked my heart that fast. He just hijacked that heart. It was my first child. I didn't know what was going to happen. All of a sudden, what? Hijacked! He instantly became the apple of my eye. I was faint in the knees with love for that little guy. And I was captivated. You know what I was captivated by? I was captivated by his complete innocence. As I looked at him, I thought, how innocent does it get? Just captivated and caught up because of that. You could say it like this. He had stolen my heart. Because that's exactly what the lover said to his beloved. That's what Solomon said to the Shulamite woman. And friends, that's what Christ says to his bride. Look at Song of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 9. He says, you have stolen my heart and my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Friends, look, Solomon's a rich man. He doesn't need more jewels. But what he's saying here, he is saying, I noticed that necklace brings out your neck. 
That's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in you. Forget about all those riches. And he said, all it took was for you to just kind of glance at me. One time, that was it. Just You took one glance at me, and I saw one jewel around that golden neck of yours. He said, that's all it took. With that, you stole my heart. Friends, do you see how easy it is for God to love us and for Christ to be our husband? Friends, Jesus finished the work on the cross and it became a transforming gospel. We can add nothing to his completed work. It was his sacrifice. It was his offering of praise to his father that became the fruit of lips. When God breathed into Adam's lifeless body, the father pollinated Adam's soul and Adam transformed from a flower into a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. When Jesus breathed on his disciples, he pollinated their spirits with the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. When the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room on the 120, he pollinated their souls. He pollinated their tongues with fire in the speaking of tongues. He changed them forevermore. And when Jesus died on the cross, the scriptures tell us that he breathed his last breath. Why would it go to the point to tell us that? So he breathed his last breath and then he gave up his spirit. Friends, I want to tell you today, in his final exhale, he released a pollination whereby every flower of the world could be impregnated with the sacrifice of praise and become the fruit of his lips. So friends, we must never resist transformation. Transformation is a good thing. Every piece of fruit that you have ever held in your hand started out as a flower. Isn't that wonderful? And then that flower was pollinated and that flower was fertilized and then it began to grow until it reached full maturity. It's pollination, fertilization, ripening, and then the full maturity. We see that scripture, Mark chapter 4, verse 28. It says, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. So you can see there is a transformation process that's taking place. You are being transformed by the power of the gospel. You are being transformed. You will not think the way you thought a month ago because God is transforming the way you think. So we begin our Christian walk as sons of God, pollinated and fertilized by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures tell us, do not be carried away by strange teachings, but to allow our hearts to be strengthened by grace. We are not transformed through a list of commandments. We are made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can leave your old covenant turtle shell behind, friends. Just walk right out of it, okay? My last scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 16. The writer says these words. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then he says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, what he's saying here is someone is going to come along and say, no, give me your Cinderella shoes, you need running shoes. 
They're going to say you need sweatpants. You don't need the bridal gown. They're going to try to put a doctrine on you that's just not fitting for the bride, friends. And he says in these scriptures, he says, do not be carried away by strange teachings, all kinds of strange teachings. Look what he says. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. All of the things that he could have picked were right there. He said, look, you can get carried away by all kinds of strange doctrines and strange teachings, or your heart can be strengthened by grace. That is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. And he said, let your heart be strengthened by grace. And he says, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. He says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Do you see those words, friends? How do we become holy? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered on the outside of the gate so that we could become holy by his blood. You add nothing to holiness, friends. It is his holiness that makes us holy. We are made the rose and we are made the lily through Christ alone. He says, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now, I want you to look at these next verses. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. That was the inspiration for this message right there. You're looking at it right there. I told you the Hebrew writer beat me to it. Through Christ, see that? The lover, the one that's abounding over the mountains to come to get you, the one that's peeking through the lattice, the one that's running down the altar. He said, through Christ, therefore, let us continually offer to God, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And then I threw in this other verse here, that verse 16, where it says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Do you see that, friends? Remember, we thought a sacrifice was always about shedding blood and tears and sweat. He's saying a sacrifice shows up in just being good to people. Remember I said your ministry is just a love. That's a sacrifice. Because you don't always feel like being good to somebody. You don't always feel like taking the time to be good to people. But he said, that's what a sacrifice really looks like. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. A sacrifice does not always come with blood, sweat, and tears. The Father calls doing good and sharing with others a sacrifice that he is pleased with. A sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, can be something as simple as speaking love and innocence into the heart of one of daddy's flowers and then watching as those words penetrate the dark soul, watching how those words crush the image of vineyard failure and pollinate the soul with true identity, the identity of a rose and a lily, one that is loved and innocent. The fruit of transformation takes time to develop. Don't the scriptures tell us that it's seed, time, and harvest? Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God was the one who made it grow. It takes time. We must never become critical of them that have not yet awakened to the revelation of Papa's unconditional love and Papa's unconditional 
innocence. I want you to begin to see that every person on the planet Earth is like a flower. Sadly, many will wither and fall to the ground, never having known the relentless and passionate and transforming love of the Father. Multitudes have never once heard the words, you're all together lovely. That is why I love you so. We have been given this incredible honor, this incredible privilege, if you will, to pollinate daddy's flowers with the gospel of grace. It's the miracle of cross-pollination. It's taken the pollen from one and given it to another. It's taken Jesus' life and given it to another, friends. Hear the words of Solomon. He's a type and shadow of our lover Jesus Christ when he says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. You are the rose of Sharon and you are a lily of the valleys. And even in the midst of your dark and thorny thoughts, I still see you as sweet. I still see you as delightful. I still see you as pleasing. I still see you as graceful. I still see you as flawless. I still see you as perfect. I still see you as lovely. And I still see you as beautiful. You have stolen my heart. Not just any heart, but a heart that's been pollinated with the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. In Jesus' name, amen. Daddy, I want to praise you. I want to thank you. And even as bees or whatever it may be, may they release pollen to touch those, touch those who feel so wilted in life. They touch those that would only remain a flower, would never transform into a piece of fruit, would never reach the destiny that you called them to apart from being pollinated, Daddy. So I want to thank you, Father, that you've given us this honor, this great privilege, this great desire to take this gospel and make things grow with it. I'm reminded that we do the planting and the watering, but Daddy, you make things all beautiful. You make things grow. And Father, in those times when we have images of ourselves or images of others that seem dark and distant, I'm reminded to what the lover said. He said, you are beautiful, my darling. You are beautiful. This is the heart of my papa. This is the heart of Christ. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.